Obi Wan. Hello, Dex. Take your seat. I'll be right with you. You want a cup of Java juice? Oh yes, thank you. Hey, oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my friend, what can I do for you? You can tell me what this is. Well, what do you know? I ain't seen one of these since I was prospecting on Subterrell, beyond the Outer Rim. Can you tell me where it came from? Thank you. This baby belongs to them cloners. What you got here is a Camino Saber Dart. I wonder why it didn't show up in the analysis archives. You see funny little cuts on the side to give it away. Those analysis droids only focus on symbols. <laughs> I should think that you Jedi would have more respect for the difference between knowledge and... <laughs> ...wisdom. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 405, Dex's Jedi Jams. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Yoda to my Count Dooku, we have Carl LeClaire. Count Dooku. Master Yoda, you've interfered with our plans for the last time. Zappity zap zap. <laughs> <laughs> Much to learn, you still have. It is obvious this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of the Force, but by our skills with a lightsaber. Zoom, 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 ding, ding, doom, doom. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We are so excited to do one more episode focused on none other than one of the greatest sequels in the history of cinema, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Yes, and I 100% stand behind that statement. Um, fight me. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is the only place I will get confrontational when no one can actually respond to me. Um, <laughs> Watch we get all these emails. <laughs> right. uh, um, delete, delete, um, delete. Just kidding. But it, is, it has been so much fun taking the last few weeks just to talk about some of our favorite aspects of Attack of the Clones. We are going to uh, round out kind of some of that discussion today by looking at some of our favorite musical moments from Attack of the Clones. Um, and of course, at the top of the episode, we're going to do another Mando watch, looking at the most recent chapter, Chapter 13, The Jedi. As always, you've been forewarned for spoilers. We will talk about the episode with spoilers within them so just know that now um jason when when i was making the notes for the show tonight i gotta be honest i was like i'm not ready to be done talking attack of the clones <laughs> 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 i could talk about this till at least 2021 um i mean 
I could too, but <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure people are wanting a different topic from us. And you're going to get one next week. So next week, obviously, we as we've been saying at some of the, the most recent episodes, we're finally going to do an, an entire episode dedicated to the A New Hope radio drama. Um, mm-hmm. So... We just finished playing that last week at the end of the episode. We have that was our third playthrough over the many years of doing the show. So we're finally going to sit down and just talk about the content of the A New Hope radio drama next week. Um, but don't worry, Attack of the Clones will be back. I'm sure in in a matter of time. If I have anything to say about it, it will. But <laughs> I do. We too, also, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so we say also we all. want to give. Yeah. So say we all. <laughs> which is not from Star Wars, but you know, um, (laughs) it is the way, um, this is the way I have spoken. We'll just throw everything at it. Who cares? Um, (laughs) but we do want to give some of the other movies attention to, I suppose. So we'll, we'll round out this round of attack of the clones discussion tonight with today's episode. And Carl, what are we talking about attack of the clones today? Well, like I just said, I guess Jason wasn't listening. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, like we, we're going to talk about our, some of our favorite musical moments from, from Attack of the Clones. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, before we get into all of that discussion on, on The Mandalorian and, and Attack of the Clones again, we did have a matchup last week, uh, which I thought was quite epic. The, the numbers did not think it was an epic matchup. Nope. Um, but we, we took two uh, very recent. Um, butt kicking uh, characters from the Mandalorian, and we asked you who would win in a fight between Cara Dune and Bo Katan. And Jason, what did folks have to say about this one? Oh my goodness! Well, first of all, thank you everyone who weighed in on this matchup. We had uh, over 120 responses. Um, I will say though, it was extremely one-sided, and for Carl and I, surprisingly so. Um, Bo Katan ended up with 106 votes and Cara Dune only 19. So, wow. Yeah. I can honestly say I understand why people pick Bo-Katan, but I did not expect this to be so one-sided. Um, Carl, how did you come down on this matchup? Uh, I was hoping the Larians would make this closer, because it wasn't close for me either, but they kind of went with what was in my heart too. I, I think Bo-Katan wins quite easily as well. Um, if we're talking about just like, if Bo-Katan has none of her equipment, no blasters, no Beskar, um, a straight like fisticuffs type fight, I think Cara Dune wins that. Um, but that's the only way I see Cara Dune winning, as if it's like they've got nothing but their fists. Um, I feel like Cara Dune could probably win that fight. But when it comes to any sort of like weaponry or uh, anything like that, I also just think uh, watching Bo-Katan fight, it was really cool. Like the opening of um, the siege episode, chapter 12, and we see Cara Dune as the marshal kind of go hand to hand with these this this underground gang. Um, very clear that uh, Gina Carano is an MMA fighter, you know, with the, the t- fighting style, but it's also just kind of like a brute strength. Whereas when you watch Bo-Katan fight with even hand-to-hand against the Aqualush, you know, when they're rescuing um, the Mandalorian, there's a precision way of fighting for her. Um, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know, like Cara Dune being like a boxer going up against like someone who is like a super secret spy trained by the CIA who doesn't need to be big and brawn and 
super tough, you know, buff like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They know how to hit you and how to hit you quick to take you down. And I feel like that's what Bo-Katan's more trained in is she's more of a tactical fighter. So I think 99 times out of 100, Bo-Katan wins. But that one off chance where it's just like Cara Dune gets her to the ground and they have to grapple fight, Cara Dune wins that one. But that's it. <laughs> so what do you think? Oh, man, it's a close one for me. And I can totally understand why people said Bo-Katan, why you've said Bo-Katan. However, I'm going to join the uh, the other side on this one. Um, I'm going to go with the underdog Cara Dune. Um, I, I did see somebody say she's just a soldier, but I... I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification of what of who Cara Dune is. Uh, she's a, a rebel shock trooper, which means that she went in no backup to clear the zone. You know, that's her job. Um, she's very skilled with weaponry and she's tact, you know, she's still got tactics um, as we saw in her uh, premiere episode sanctuary last season, you know, she was able to help train all the, you know, the uh, villagers and help them take down the ATAT or ATST, excuse me, um, <laughs> with just a couple of people. Uh, so I, I think she's, I think people are forgetting that she's got a little bit more in her arsenal than just, you know, throwing people around and shooting things <laughs> with a big gun, um, which is her preferred method. No, don't get me wrong, but she's got, she's got more. Um, I think what puts it over the edge for me though, is that she's the type of person who can take a hit and keep coming, mm. which will allow her to get in close range with Bo-Katan, thus evening the matchup. Mm. So I, I think that's why I kind of give, give, uh, Cara Dune the edge because she's going to be able to take a blaster hit. And still, you know, punch you in the face. So, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we know she's not afraid to punch a Mandalorian helmet uh, because she did that with Din. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah. So there's there's that. I, I I think this matchup is closer than people think. I totally understand why people gave it to Bo-Katan, but I'm going to go down and give it to to Cara Dune this time. Uh, and no, I'm in the far minority on this one, but. Have I ever cared about that before? No, not really. <laughs> um, but that gives us a final tally of 107 for Bo-Katan, and Cara Dune has 20. So still not even close. But uh, thank you, everyone, for weighing in on the matchup. <laughs> yes, and um, we'll have a poll for you at the end of this, uh, at the end of this episode. Obviously, we're also done playing the A New Hope radio drama. So at the end of this episode, that'll be it. <laughs> so you don't have to stick around for that extra half hour if you don't want to, because there won't be anything there but dead space. Um, I mean, you can still just, you know, sit on a, you know, empty podcast for half an hour if you want. But, sure. I mean, I'll probably yeah. just play the next episode, but yeah, right, <laughs> it'll right. auto feed for you. But yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, so let's let's uh, let's get into the most recent episode of Mandalorian and and. You know, um, like we've said before, spoilers ahead. But Jason, once again, yes, it is time for the Mando Watch. Mando Watch. Mando Watch. 
Oh yeah, Mando Watch Time, Chapter 13, The Jedi. Should be called The Citizen, but whatever. Um, I guess Mace Windu did not title this episode. That's fine. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. So... This was obviously an episode so much of fandom was so excited for. Um, yeah. Everybody was super stoked and, and ready for Ahsoka Tana for the first time in live action. Um, and I will say, you know, all things considered, it did not disappoint. I think there was... Bo-Katan's transition from cartoon to screen was flawless. I mean, it helps when you have the same actor portraying her in person. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that there are a lot of feelings around the fact that it is not Ashley Eckstein. Um, Totally get it. I think it's Mm -hmm. very bizarre that Ashley Eckstein was not at least offered to audition for it. Um, I don't know how, how many folks are aware, but behind the scenes, Ashley Eckstein did express herself extremely uh, being disappointed and heartbroken that she wasn't even offered or even asked. Um, and I think that's totally valid. I, 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 I don't know whose, whose fault that is. Um, the Vanity Fair article that just came out this week that Anthony Bresnikan handled where he interviewed both Rosario Dawson and Dave Filoni. Um, it's in there that in Filoni's mind, when he thought of bringing Ahsoka to live action, he immediately thought of Rosario Dawson. Um, I don't think he thought of that as a slight to Ashley Eckstein at all. She obviously is given props in the article. Um, but I just want to get that out there because I know there are a lot of fans out there who have, you know, very conflicted feelings about this. And and those are totally valid. If it didn't work for you, it didn't work for you. Um, but for me, I thought it I thought it worked really well. Um, I thought Rosario Dawson did a really good job with it. Um, it sucks that it wasn't Ashley Eckstein, but um You know, as someone who's a huge Han Solo fan and was super wary of them casting anybody but Harrison Ford, and obviously where I stand now, I mean, to me, Alden Ehrenreich is just much of a Han Solo as Harrison Ford. Um, I think Rosario Dawson did a phenomenal job. Um, But what did did you think of the the transition from, you know, animation to to live action? Well, I thought the... um the performance was, was very well done. Um, and the, the action choreographed for Ahsoka, uh, really helped to sell the character in my opinion, because the, the movements, the way she was shot doing things, the kind of tactics she did, you know, leaping up onto the roof at the end and running, you know, drawing, you know, the, the forces away is a, you know, something we've seen Ahsoka do many times, uh, in the Clone Wars. So uh, I think the action definitely helps sell this, this is Ahsoka to me. Um, but I, I will say in terms of uh, Rosario Dawson, I think she did very well. Uh, the voice wasn't too far from Ashley Eckstein, so that that wasn't too much of a of a, an issue for me. I was most concerned that she would sound very, very different. Mm. Uh, and that was going to really... If she sounded too different, that was really going to kind of pull me out. But thankfully, Rosario Dawson, it, I don't know if that's her normal voice. I'm not familiar with her other work. But um, she was able to at least get get fairly close to Ashley Eckstein's performance, um, which helped to sell the character to me even more. And, and once I got past that concern, I just 
accepted it and went with it. I will say I am disappointed that Ashley wasn't at least given the chance to to audition and try for the part um, because I think she could have done well and I think she would have been amazing and uh, and stuff. But be that as it may, that she didn't get in, um, you know, it's I just have to accept that and we'll move on with what we have. And so with what we have, I am very happy with what we have. So, yeah. Yeah, I have the only other thing I've seen Rosario Dawson in is the the movie production of Rent, um, and I loved her in that. She's a phenomenal singer as well, um, and it is her speaking voice, but it's also not like you. It's very obvious in the article expressed this. It's very obvious that she studied the Clone Wars and Ashley Eckstein's performance, both in Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, so, yeah, I I, I think she did a great job. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I I am not disappointed, and I know some people were. Um, this is Rosario Dawson. My body's talking to me. It says time for danger. So I wish I wish she had sang a little bit in The Mandalorian, to be honest, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I re- I'm not a huge show person, like show t- show tunes person, but I love the musical Rent. Um, and actually, when they did the movie, I'm totally not talking about Star Wars, and I apologize. When they did the movie, they brought back though the entire original Broadway cast, except for the woman that played this character. They cast Rosario Dawson, and it was such a better choice because the the actor that played this character in the Broadway show, I thought was a terrible singer. So Rosario Dawson is phenomenal vocally. So I, I much preferred, preferred that transition. But anyway, enough about that. We're not here for musicals. Um, no. Although it would be great to get a Star Wars musical. Ewan McGregor is a hell of a singer too. So <laughs> I, that is very true. Um, yes. And nobody see him do beauty and the beast. Oh, I don't know. I saw him in Moulin Rouge. Also, um, uh, Oscar Isaac has a phenomenal voice. Um, Anyway, but uh, so for the sake of uh, of time and, and like we said before, you know, Mando Watch is not to be a deep dive into things. Um, I have a few points that I wanted to that stood out to me from the episode. I'm sure you do as well, Jason. Um, yes. The first thing, though, that grabbed me with the episode that, that I enjoyed very much was the very beginning. I did love that we got Ahsoka right at the top of the episode because it was like it just kind of took away that anticipation, right? So you could kind of settle into the story a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she is having the standoff with the magistrate right at the beginning of the episode and she brings in the prisoner and she says, how many lives would it, would it cost you? One, 10, a hundred. It reminded me immediately because of who I am. It reminded me of the biblical story in Genesis of Abraham having his barter with God and, and God's like, I'm going to destroy this city. And Abraham's, but what if there's a hundred good people in it? And God's like, I won't do it. And he's like, well, what if there's only 10? God's like, I won't do it. And he's like, what if there's only one? And God's like, fine. And for the sake of one, I shall not do it. Um, so it just kind of reminded me of kind of this inversion of that where you have this kind of um, interesting barter. And right, the magistrate doesn't care about these lives, but Ahsoka does. Ahsoka's obviously the compassionate one. Um, but like she tells the magistrate, she's like, I don't really care. I'm coming in and you're going to get your butt kicked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It is a great scene. And I will say that magistrate uh, Morgan Elsbeth was a fantastic villain for this episode. Yeah. I thoroughly love her as a character. Um 
I, she was, you know, captivating. She, you know, cold, calculating, very like not exaggerated on screen at all, but like you couldn't help but watch her. So I, I, I thought she did a phenomenal job. And the, the duel between the magistrate and Ahsoka at the end was amazing. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many folks are talking about this and to be fair, I wouldn't know it because I don't, I don't know Kurosawa, but right. Everybody's talking about how strongly influenced this episode was by, um, Kurosawa films, the old samurai films from the forties and fifties. And, you know, obviously he was a huge influence on George Lucas. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I made this point a while back. I think when we did, um, when we did our full depth analysis of, of chapter nine on the episode, the Marshall, and I talked about how one of the things I love about Mandalorian is it makes me want to explore other Star Wars lore and some of it is, you know, like old legends lore. The thing that this episode made me want to explore is Kurosawa films. I mean, I've been a Star Wars fan almost my whole life and I've still never watched a Kurosawa film. Um, so just last night, um, my buddy Greg and I and our friend Ben, we all got on the the Disney Disney Plus watch app and we watched the episode together and uh, both Greg and Ben are incredibly big movie buffs and they know everything about movies. I swear it, (laughs) but uh, they were both talking so specifically about some of the influences by Kurosawa. And I was like, you know what? I got to sit down and watch some of these movies because I've never seen any of them. Have you, have you ever watched a Kurosawa movie? I have not. Um, One thing I will say though, is that I do think that this episode was also drawing um, on the uh, animated, the, the, the anime movie, uh, Princess Mononoke, which is yes. um, the character that Ahsoka is loosely inspired by anyways. Um, so th- there were definite elements from that anime, which I, which I have seen um, that are in, in mm. this episode. So that was, that was kind of neat too. Um, but of course it's, it's set in a, you know, sort of, you know, past uh, samurai setting anyways. So I'm sure Mononoke drew on Kurosawa as well. So there's probably a thread of Kurosawa running through all of that anyways. Um, But I I would love to go back and watch some of the Kurosawa um, films. I just, I honestly don't know where to find them. I'd have to take a look and see if I can find some of them. You could probably rent them off uh, Amazon prime would be my guess. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Most, most, almost every Friday morning I, I, text with uh, our friend Jim Urso and Jim was the first to point that out to me was he said oh you know this has got a strong influence from the anime Princess Mononoke yes and and, yeah Jim's apparently a huge fan of that anime and then he's like yeah this is the inspiration for Ahsoka Filoni's been very upfront about it and I was like I knew nothing about it and he sent me like a full in-depth article about it so it was was great (laughs) um yeah so I love the generosity of Star Wars fans (laughs) um but yeah, you know, I mean that that influence was was obviously very strong in the episode. Uh, to me, the heart of the episode, though, um, and and this is something I want to talk about right as we close our talks or as we talk close our conversation about the episode. Um, the whole idea of Ahsoka being there, and and uh, I have some, I have lots of positives, but I have a few skeptical comments to make that I'll I'll say for the end. And and again, not not to be mean or anything, um, but. I will say to me, the heart of the episode as a Mandalorian episode, because I think, um, well, I'll just say it right now. My one concern is by bringing back these big characters so much, it starts drawing us away from 
the Mandalorian. Um, that was my only thing that I didn't. That was my only issue with this episode is I felt like ah, it's making the Star Wars story seem very small again. Like I, I, I felt like the the opportunity to really expand and explore new sides of the galaxy was really shrunk by this episode because it's like, oh, Ahsoka. Oh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. It's just like, oh, geez, like I love Ahsoka. It'd be cool to see Grand Admiral Thrawn, but it's just like ugh, I just I kind of want a more original story. Um, so so. While that is kind of true for me, and I'll be curious to see what you think about that, um, I will say when I thought about, all right, well, what is going on in this episode, though? What What is being uh, progressed in the story of The Mandalorian? And it's ultimately, to me, this ex- this outside confirmation of his bond with the child. So Ahsoka is very much the wise one in this episode, right? Like Quill was the wise character of the first season. Um, there have been a few wise characters already in season two. Um, Bo-Katan was one. Um, so people that kind of open the Mandalorian's eyes to a wider view. And I think for Ahsoka, she's the first Jedi and probably the only Jedi we're going to encounter in the show. Um, and she kind of affirms what the living force is doing with the Mandalorian and the child is they're bound to each other. There is a inseparability, I think, that she sees in them. And I think that's part of why she refuses to train the child. Um, so also, as we now know, Grogu, <laughs> um, I really love his name. Uh, last night, my buddy Greg made a great point. He goes, I don't think it'll stick. He goes, for the majority of people, it will continue to be Baby Yoda. I mean, the child hasn't even really stuck yet. So I don't know that Grogu will stick. But that being said, I really liked the name Grogu. Did you enjoy it? I- I do too. Yeah, it was it was great, and I, his reaction to his name every time mm. uh, Din said it was great. Grogu, yeah. and just the ears yeah. and everything. I was just like, oh, oh yes, thank you. Uh, but yeah, I I liked it. It was like you know, I, I was a little worried it was going to be you know sort of another Y name, you know, Yoda, Yaddle, things like that. Mm. You know, I was, I was a little concerned we might kind of get a little close to that. Um, I think it was like right before we recorded last week. I don't think it was on the episode, but I told you that uh, Mando was going to have to name him at some point. Hmm. Uh, you know, and then obviously we get his name in this episode, and I was like, ah, you know, that, there we go. Um, but I liked it. You know, Grogu fits him, um, and uh, our uh, our buddy Jim Urso uh, in our our Patreon. Uh, Discord chat uh, said that there's a theory out there that Grogu is uh, sort of a, a nod to George, uh, George <laughs> Lucas. So, um, at which I I'm think is a fun it. theory. I don't know if it's true or not, but, yeah. you know, it's a fun theory anyways. Yeah. Well, apparently uh, John Favreau, because this was revealed in the Vanity Fair article, he had already had a name. He'd already had a name for the child in season one. Um, and he didn't. He didn't. He just didn't share it with most people. I think Filoni knew it by the end of the filming of season one. But um, so it is. It is something that Favreau came up with, um, which I think is cool because it is ultimately his show. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, it worked for me. I really liked it. Um, and and I love the middle of that episode because the, these are the kind of moments I love about Star Wars. I mean, we have a campfire scene essentially. <laughs> where where truths are are learned, um, and you know, and then there's the training sequence, and um, and ultimately, what Ahsoka learns there is that these two have a very strong bond, and it's not one that she should separate by taking the child away. 
Um, you know, her, her refusal to train and basically saying, I've seen what anger and attachment can do to the best of us. She's obviously still carrying a lot of trauma from what happened with Anakin. Yeah. Um, and, and her final confrontation with Darth Vader. Um, so, you know, it makes sense that she doesn't want to separate these two. And, and, and I really appreciate that. The thing that stood out to me though, is I think we finally, Jason, get a statement in its entirety of the child's musical theme. So Ludwig Gorenson talked about how in the first season he gave hints of it throughout the first season, but he never gave its fullness. Now, I don't know if this is its fullness or not, but this moment, right when, right after uh, Din has his brief little fight with Ahsoka, which by the way, I thought was awesome. um, uh, We hear this musically. So I'm going to play this for everybody. And I I think that this is the child's musical theme. I, again, could be wrong, but I think this is where we hear it. I hope it's about him. I think that's it. Um, I mean, there could be more to it, but we've heard bits and pieces of that throughout the first season that the closing with the chimes, like we hear that when the child wakes up at the end of chapter two, when they're on the ship. Um, so, I mean, as someone who loves star Wars music, that got me really excited. I was like, Ooh, cause she's, you know, when she says, I hope it's about him. And then that's what the music we get. I was like, this has got to be the child's theme. Yeah. I, I, it doesn't, it still doesn't sound complete to me. Um, sure. It still sounds like, like the motif is expanding. Mm. Uh, because, and I think part of it is we've learned something else about him. We've learned his, you know, his name now, um, and and that he is yes, force sensitive, and we've learned a little bit of his past. But we don't know what he's doing. What's his future? What where where is he going? Does he know? He doesn't. So, um, I think, I think we're gonna have to wait for more character development for Grogu before we get his full theme. Um, so uh, maybe we'll get it at the finale this season. Maybe it'll be next season. Who knows? Well, um, to, to be fair, but I, Kylo Ren never got a full theme. He only ever got a motif. Fair. So, uh, but, it, I, but this yeah. one, it, it sounds fuller, but not complete to mm. me. Sure. So sure. That's just where I'm. Yeah. Well, I want right. to, I want to, a romantic love theme for the Mandalorian and Grogu. Um, not like romantic, like ro- like erotic romance. I'm talking about like romance theme in, in the same vein as the Luke and Leia theme. Um, yeah. Some sort of love theme that, you know, is about a, a, a parent and the child. Um, yes. So I would love to see uh, Ludwig give us something like that. And we might get it. Um, so, and that's why I think when she ultimately, the episode ends with Ahsoka saying you take him to Tython, which by the way is a, Awesome callback to the Dawn of the Jedi comic series, which is, uh, you know, a planet there. Um, the Old Republic. Yes, in the Old Republic. Uh, so I have a sense that they'll they'll get there eventually and um, might have a run in with Moff Gideon. Um, but I think what the force will reveal to the child is that he belongs with Din Djarin. And, and I love how Ahsoka says once he was taken from the temple, he was alone. And I feel like that's also Ahsoka. Ahsoka's been alone so much of her journey now. And in a, in a lot of ways, so is Din Djarin. So all of these characters 
I think, well, I think for Ahsoka, she understands how important Din Djarin is for Grogu. And that's why mm. she doesn't want to separate them. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the, the crux of this episode is Din coming to realize that, you know, I had in this quest, but, you know, now is it the right one? You know, like he's having to admit that to himself in a way, or at least grapple with the idea that he doesn't want to let him go, that he doesn't, he doesn't want to let Grogu go. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, you know, at the end there, when she asks where, where's your little friend? He goes, ah, it's back of the ship. I'll go get him. You know, you can hear the, the trepidation in his voice. And then he, you know, is still sitting there in the ship, you know, saying goodbye and, and holding yeah. Grogu before he, you know, works up the courage essentially to leave and go find Ahsoka, who's already there saying, yeah, you're like I'm a not father to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like a father to him, which is true. And we've seen it. I think Din is finally having to face that fact that, mm-hmm. yeah, he has become a father. Yeah. And, and he doesn't know what to make of it yet. I don't think he's figured out what, what that means and how he feels about yes. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do love that shot you mentioned though, of, of him holding the child um, after he wakes him up and just kind of cradling him there for a second. It's just like, just a beautiful shot. Um, yeah. And that's what Ahsoka sees. Like she, she sees and feels that. Um, I saw someone make a comment and I thought it was really hilarious. The, the scene when Ahsoka and the child are communing just the two of them. And I love how Mandalorian just kind of pacing, like giving them their space to do what they need to do, but kind of anxiously awaiting the verdict, if you will. Um, oh yeah. And somebody made the point. They're like, I'd like to think that the entire time Grogu is just saying what a cool daddy has. <laughs> um, I mean, he's just bragging I, about I, the Mandalorian. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he said some, you know, a little bit about that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, no, that's great. Just one other little musical thing that I loved in the episode is with the little campfire scene when Ahsoka is explaining she's only ever exper- ever seen one more of this kind of species with the great master Yoda. And we get a very brief statement of Yoda's theme. I mean, it's just like a couple notes. I've only known one other being like this. A wise Jedi master named Yoda. I love that. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a couple of the notes, but it's, it's all you needed. Um, oh yeah. So, I mean, that was great since that's my favorite piece of star Wars music. Of course I got super stoked when they played it. <laughs> I mean, I would be too. Yeah, I would be too. And it makes sense. Uh, you don't, you know, I mean, she mentions Yoda. Cool. Give us two quick notes that are the heart of that theme. So, right. Ludwig Gorenson. Ah, oh, just a genius. <laughs> I love him. I love him so much. I'm yeah. so glad he's writing Star Wars music. Yes. Um, um, I do have to ask, though. Yeah. Thrawn. Hmm. I mean, I, I know you expressed concern, you know, and, mm. and we, I want to get into that conversation just a little bit about the galaxy be getting too small. But what are your thoughts about Thrawn possibly getting involved with the show? So here I have a couple of thoughts. Um, my my excited thought is what if he's the one even behind Gideon? Like what if Gideon's reporting to Thrawn? 
to me, it'd be kind of a cool play on the um, heir of heir to the force. Timothy's on trilogy that first started the expanded universe in a big way back in the nineties. Yes. You had splinter of the mind's eye in 1978. And I'll tell you, Jason, that book sucks. <laughs> I read it for the <laughs> first time with some friends a couple of years ago for a book group. Cause none of us ever had, it's terrible. Sorry to anybody that loves it, but I think it's, it's poorly written and the story is atrocious. Um, but so be that as may Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy, right. Kind of kickstarted the expanded universe back in 91. Um, and kind of the premise of the villains there is you have Thrawn, who's the mastermind, and then he's working with this cloned Jedi, Joris Seaboth, or however you say his name. Yeah. Um, and to me, like Gideon, his playing with the clones and midichlorians, like, I was like, ooh, he's kind of like a Joris Seaboth type character. So what if Thrawn's the mastermind behind everything? Which, which to me is like, that's kind of cool. Like, what a neat homage to the to the original expanded universe. My downbeat thought, though, is is... If Thrawn is back, that means we're probably going to have to see Ezra. And I strongly dislike Ezra. So I just don't want any more Ezra. And I, again, I, I'm sorry to those of you who love Ezra Bridger. Like, I don't mean to take anything away from you, but his character just so does not work for me. Um, so I don't I don't need and I also I don't need to see him. This isn't a show about them. It's about the Mandalorian. Um, I do think we might eventually get an Ahsoka slash Rebels live action type show. Um, where we might see, and I feel like that's obviously Ahsoka's bigger quest is finding Thrawn. Um, so I don't know, like it, again, I'm sure it would be really cool and I trust them to handle it well because they've done a great job with all the callbacks so far. But again, my biggest concern is this just keeps shrinking the galaxy. Um, and all the upcoming series have to do with stories between episodes three and four. It's like, could we get an early story about the Jedi or something between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy with like our main characters. Like that's the stuff I really would be excited about. And so the stuff we keep getting just keeps making our universe seem so small. So that's for me a bit, bit of a disappointment. I don't know where, where do you land on all that stuff? Well, I, I thought it was cool to get the Thrawn reference. My only question is, is if he's actually going to be in the show or not. I mean, I, yeah. I honestly could see I, I can see Dave and and John throwing in references to things for future projects, uh, you know, or, or just to create something for potential future projects uh, like Boba Fett. Mm. I don't yeah, I, I honestly don't him. know if he's ever going to come back into uh, the show. Mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, uh, there's no reason at this point to go back to Tatooine um, and you know I, he seems to have given up the Mandalorian life Boba has um, you know just based on the fact that his arm he doesn't have his armor anymore and he's got Tuscan gaffy sticks on his back so um, I, I honestly don't see why Boba is going to come back they got tomorrow Morrison to just sort of stand there and say, yeah, he's alive, but <laughs> I don't think he's coming back at this point. Um, and so I could see them doing the same thing with Thrawn, just sort of throw out, Hey, he's around at this time, which is, you know, about five years after return of the Jedi, which kind of lines up very nicely with the Thrawn trilogy, you know, yeah. the original Thrawn trilogy. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a cool thing, and it's probably, you know, at, at the very least, it's setting something up for, um, you know, future projects. I honestly have no idea if he's actually going to show up in the show, though. 
because there's no reason for Mando to find him. Unless he's behind Gideon, I would say. Exactly. But if he's something, if he's something separate from Gideon, which to be fair, he very easily could be because Ahsoka doesn't seem to be aware of Moff Gideon or seem to care. I mean, this is all conjecture, but, um, so if, if Thrawn isn't behind Gideon, which he again, very, may very well may not be, I don't see him showing up at least in this season. Um, right. If he, that, the only way I do see him showing up is if he is somehow involved with Gideon's plot. I agree. So I agree. But of course, now we know we're going to have to get sort of a, a, a duel between Gideon and Mando because Mando's got his Beskar staff. That's so, right. and Gideon still has the dark saber. So yes. we're going to have a duel at some point, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I am here for. I am so here for that. Yeah. I can't wait to see Mandalorian just teach Moff Gideon a lesson about playing with things that he don't, that don't belong to him. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. But anyway, that that is those are the the crux of my thoughts. I mean, again, there are so many things we we are not talking about, and there's so many more things we could talk about. Right. Um, but there are plenty of great podcasts out there, probably doing all that stuff right now. Um, and again, I'm sure we'll revisit this episode at a later date. Um, but yeah, and and to be fair, like um, I'd be really curious to, to any of you listening where you kind of stand on the whole: is the galaxy getting too small? Is do you, do, does this really work for you? Do you have some trepidation about it as well? Again, I, I, I want to share that stuff because I want to be honest about how I feel about it. I don't mean to take away anybody's joy, and I hope that I didn't. Um, but that's just my honest assess- assessment. Like after I've watched this episode a few times now, and I've enjoyed it every time, but there's always just like this this tinge of unease at the end of it where it's just like, oh, I just feel like we're getting too small. Um, that's not to say I didn't enjoy Ahsoka, that I, that I don't want to possibly see Thrawn, like... So I'm, you know, I'm very much on the fence about all of it. So I'm just curious of what other folks think. The, uh, you know, of course, there's so many possibilities with what could happen if Thrawn is back. And if we see him again, um, of course, involving rebels and all that stuff. One thing I will say. Um, Ahsoka is seems pretty pissed when she's demanding Thrawn's location. Mm. And of course, she just had this confrontation with Morgan Elspeth. Uh, which could be the cause of that. But I'm honestly wondering if maybe Sabine and Ahsoka found Ezra dead and Thrawn no longer there. I'm f- I'm fine with that. <laughs> I figured you would be. Like, I, I don't know, you know, just kind of based on the, the intensity of the way she demanded the information, um, that was a theory that popped into my head so yeah uh i don't know i honestly don't know we might see you know the rebels crew at some point again i mean i know Hera is very active across you know many different properties and things like that uh being a general uh in the rebel alliance she's in the new um the star wars starfighter game the new star wars starfighter game um you know yeah, uh, she's in the Alphabet Squadron books, so we might yeah. see her at some point if the Rebels get more involved. But yeah. so far, we've only got the the squad of X Wings that we've seen. So who knows? Right. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're nibbling around the edges of a lot of interesting stories, but I honestly think that's kind of just set up and you know stirring the pot for other projects. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and that being said, with the other projects, 
I, this is why I really want them to just do a, a story that is very far removed from the the Star Wars movies. Like I want something either like a thousand years before the prequels. I don't know that I would necessarily want something like a thousand years after the sequels. Um, but yeah, I just I would love for them to. Ex- there are so many parts of the Star Wars world I'd love to see explored that would have far less stakes too, without it being so close to like the canon story. Um, I think that brings a certain nervousness to certain fans, um, right? Like, oh, what does this mean now? Like, Ahsoka's running like, – to me, like, my biggest question is like, oh, cool. Ahsoka's running around five years after Return of the Jedi. How does she not know who Luke is? How does she not know that Anakin came back? Like, I don't know. Like, it, it's just uh, – I, I, this is why I just get so annoyed with and frustrated by canon stuff. So it's like, give us a story that's so far removed from it that it's just fun and safe to play in. <laughs> um <laughs> So anyway, um, we talked a lot about this, which I'm not surprised. It's, it, it was, it was a big episode. Um, it was a big episode, but I am so ready to talk about some star Wars attack of the clones music because it's a great score. Jason, absolutely yeah. phenomenal store score. Um, yes. So we wanted to talk about some of our favorite musical moments from this movie and, for myself, I tried to pick moments that had music that was unique to Attack of the Clones. So what I mean by that, for example, one of my favorite musical scenes is a moment we talked about last week, which is when Anakin confesses to slaughtering the Tusken Raiders. Um, I love the music during that scene, like with Palpatine's theme and the the Vader theme. But that's not music unique to Attack of the Clones. Like we've heard that all before. So I tried to pick moments that had music unique to this movie. Um so that being said, I'm also going to let you kick it off, Jason. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I've just let you the, the track in the chat, um, the title of it. Correct. Um, I'm going to go kind of my top three right now. Um, and this could have changed if I did this list, you know, in a week or two from now. But this is like my top three musical moments of the, uh, for right now for Attack of the Clones. Uh, and we're going to start with. Um... Yeah. What are we starting I... with? <laughs> Find Camino. This is one of the underrated themes from Attack of the Clones, the mystery theme. Um, And it gets played, you know, throughout uh, the movie several times. Um, But this is kind of the the big, you know, statement of it as as Obi-Wan descends through the stormy clouds of Kamino to, uh, you know, find out what's going on uh, with these these cloners. So um, I I love this theme and I, I particularly like the, the statement of it here because it is sort of like really fully fleshed out and, and takes center stage. Um, it sort of like sneaks its way into the background a lot of times in the movie, you know, um, you know, throughout various scenes. Um, but this is, this is really the one where uh, I like it because it, not only is it just a, a great little theme, but in this moment in particular, it really kind of, brings the mystery to the front and it's like this is this is weird this is unknown and um obi-wan is sort of walking in eyes open ready for anything um 
but yeah, I, I really like this this piece of music. So this moment in particular. Yeah, well, I'm gonna just follow you right up with it because uh, I had it I had it one up on my list, but I'll just talk about it now since we're since we're talking about it. I also love this track, Finding Camino, and like you said, it is a it's the mystery theme of the movie, and it pops up several times throughout the movie. But I really appreciate the way that the music itself kind of acts like the the waves of Camino here, the way it rises and falls. ultimately have the symbols there kind of acting like the waves on Camino. It's so cool. Like, yeah. I mean, you don't even have to have the movie on to, to kind of so easily visualize these massive waves just kind of crashing all around you. Um, mm. So again, just the brilliance of, of John Williams to, to paint a picture with sound. Um, yeah. And uh, I also appreciate too, as, as Obi-Wan's coming in, you have this horn section that's being played under those strings, the strings that are kind of giving you the melody of the waves. Um, but the horn section underneath that kind of has this ominous sound. So something that lies in mystery is possibly a danger to Obi-Wan. So like you said, Obi-Wan kind of comes into this with his eyes wide open, ready for whatever might be uh, awaiting him. But the, the horn section kind of gives us the sense that there's potential danger ahead here. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just such a, such, such great music. And I agree with you that I, I think it's, it's a piece that's not really talked about a lot. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I really love it. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's one for me as well, Jason. Yeah. Um, so, uh, should I move on to my next one then? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so this is one that you mentioned last week and uh, you kind of brought up uh, just a minute ago today. I'm going to go there. I know this is music that's not, you know, solely in Attack of the Clones, but this is Anakin's confession. I killed them. I killed them all. And just the way that it goes through the emotions and the dark side that, you know, that helped fuel them is great. Um, go ahead and listen to it for a second. Building up, sort of an off. By the way, this is basically Dias Irae, too, as he's talking about death. Yeah. It's sort of a, an across-the-stars melodic fashion a little bit. Yeah. Just Strings playing with the emotion. He's losing it. He's losing it. He can't control it.
the thing so. that this track is missing is the it goes you know from Palpatine's yeah. theme into uh, the Imperial March, but yeah. for whatever reason, I mean, this is not even an official extended cut of the score. Someone sent us this years ago. Yeah, um, and uh, it's the closest we've got, and it's it's dead on except for just omitting the the Emperor's theme. Yeah, which is it, which is great because you know it the the Emperor's theme really kind of hits the the dark side of the Force. It is sort of you know the voice of the dark side at this point, um, especially you know in the prequels, um, and it gets you know where it's coming from and, and Palpatine's influence a little bit on Anakin and that sort of thing. Uh, but then of course in the movie, the, the, the Emperor's theme happens and then we drop into the Imperial March as he collapses, yeah. you know, just, a, you know, fully aware of what he's done and just the wrongness of it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Oh, that's great. It's, you know, I mean, yeah, the only reason it's not on my list is because of what I said kind of at the the preface there is I just I wanted to try to pick things that were unique to Attack the Clones music. Um, but I love that. You, get, yeah, I mean, I love that you brought it in. And while I was watching that scene, because, oh, spoiler alert, I watched Attack of the Clones again today. Um, <laughs> but uh, as I was watching what? that scene again, I was specifically paying attention to the music and, and the way it does begin it is essentially like playing on ds Irae with a, a hint of the across the stars theme and again ds Irae is always in my mind now thanks to you know the brilliant work of david w collins and all the stuff he did on the soundtrack show but ds Irae is the the western motif in in music for death and as anakin's yes. confessing to killing and murder you have ds Irae playing and then it gives way to palpatine's theme because he's got his claws in Anakin. That's that's where the influence is coming from. The the fact that he would think that revenge is okay, that revenge is a form of justice, is probably something he learned from Palpatine. The Jedi do not believe that revenge equals justice. No. Um, and that's why as it, he collapses into the Imperial March theme, because that's what he's destined to become with the belief that revenge equals justice. You know, Anakin knows he should be better. Um, uh but uh, something I was thinking about while I was watching that scene today, Jason, is the way that the Emperor's theme is used across the three trilogies. And well, obviously, it's only used in Rise of Skywalker. But the way the Emperor's theme is used here in um, Attack of the Clones, and I think this is the only s- clear statement of the Emperor's theme in Attack of the Clones. I, I could be wrong. I didn't notice it anywhere else. Um, but both in across the uh, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, there is kind of like a subtlety to the emperor's theme where, and and it's almost like it's almost brassier, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's a little bit bolder um, as if it's asserting itself, but I love the way the emperor's theme is used in rise of Skywalker because it's very dark. It's very like horror movie esque, And again, it's the same theme. It's, it's the same notes, but again, this is the brilliance of John Williams is, is again, it's just the way you play it. The, the tonal references that you make for it are very different. Like again, when you hear it in rise of Skywalker, there's something very creepy about it. You know, this isn't the bold young Palpatine of the prequel trilogy. This is a recreated Sith monster who is scary, (laughs) you know? Um, so I just, again, I just wanted to kind of make that point because I think it's, it's really neat the way we, we get those themes played across the trilogies, but in, in, you know, very different ways. Um, I'm going to see if I can find a statement of the Emperor's theme really quick. Uh, sorry. As you... Nope. 
I don't think I can find it, but uh, um, oh, maybe it's here. Nope. Sorry. I've just killed so much time trying to find the Emperor's theme. <laughs> Sorry in Rise of Skywalker. But it is there and it is it just if you have the score, I, I recommend listening to it and you'll find how, how different it sounds. Um Yeah. But anyway. But yeah, no, it is it, it, it really is sort of the puppet master playing with things. You know, yeah. it really kind of takes on a life of its own here in the prequels that is active and malevolent. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's very, very well placed in my opinion in this moment. So absolutely. That's why, why it's my number two. So, yeah. So very, very good. Yeah. Um, so I would have, I, I mean, I do kind of enjoy the fine Camino piece more than my next one, but, um, I think you'll appreciate this one if it's not on your list, Jason. Um, but it is from the, the meeting of Dooku and Sidious towards the end of the movie. Um, And it comes from the track confrontation with Count Dooku and um, this part in particular. Jason, let's play back through that one more time, but maybe we'll add some dialogue this time. What do you think? Sounds good to me. (laughs) Here we go. Welcome home, Lord Tyrannus. You have done well. I have good news for you, my lord. Well, I'm just going to let you do it. I have good news for you, my lord. The war has begun. Excellent. Everything is proceeding as planned. It's like, <laughs> Everything is that going as planned. Yeah. He says I could have lied several times and all of a sudden they all blended at once into my head and I couldn't <laughs> figure out which was the right one. <laughs> oh, um, oh, goodness. I, I mean, I just love those, uh, the, the choir that he brings in this. The, well, I don't even know if it's a choir. I think it's just one woman's voice. Mm-hmm. And siren. Exactly. It's like the sirens call. And, you know, the first time John Williams ever used something like that was in uh, Empire Strikes Back as they're flying towards Cloud City. He puts in this this high vocal note that indicates that they're heading towards the siren's call here on Cloud City. They think they're going to a safe haven, but not not so true. They are heading <laughs> to uh, to um, uh, quite a bit of danger. So I'm going to see if I can find that. find that music in Empire Strikes Back. Here we go. There it is. So, to be quick, uh, I, I, I in no way 
spotted that siren call in Empire Strikes Back. That is all David W. Collins. So um, <laughs> for those of you who have maybe not heard his work before, um, that is something he pointed out from Empire Strikes Back. So I, I just love that, again, we have a middle chapter movie with a siren call. Um, you know, as Sidious and Dooku meet, they're making, you know, they're, they're talking about these plans that they've created in the shadows. Um, and what are they doing? What are these plans that they're hatching? Well, they're drawing in the Republic and the Jedi into what seems to be a justifiable war. They, they are drawing them into this conflict that they think they're kind of doing the right thing. The Republic's like, this is the way to go. We've got to use this army and fight this war. The Jedi are like, all right, well, I guess we got to take control of the army. And so here you have these two characters in kind of this eerie moment talking about how they're using all of their plotting to draw in all the forces of good so that they can destroy them. So I feel like this music is just perfect for that moment. And uh, I think it's sort of just like one step off from the emperor's theme, that Mm. siren call, I think. Uh, I'm not very good at picking out themes without, you know, that are being performed in a very, you know, very, very different kind of a way. Um, I, I really wish, you know, that's why I rely on David Collins a lot, but I, I, I just haven't remembered this, but I think this is pretty similar to the Emperor's theme. So, um, but yeah, it's very good. And I, I love this sound. It's a great sound. It's a great, uh, moment. Um, it's, it's actually just minutes before my number one moment. Um, <laughs> Uh, which I, 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 I have talked about this, this musical moment for, uh, you know, several times over the, the years, uh, as one of my favorite parts of the music in Attack of the Clones. So, uh, we're gonna kind of just go to the finale here, you know, begun. The Clone War has. But it keeps going. Oh, I didn't know you wanted this. (laughs) That is my favorite my favorite absolute favorite uh statement of across the stars is this finale piece um i i love the the musical finale of attack of the clones so much because it really just kind of hammers home everything that's happened in this movie it it really kind of puts the nice button on this is the important stuff mm-hmm. we now have the future empire in motion we're you know things are not good for the future uh, of the Republic. But at the same time, we have this wonderful moment. Star-crossed lovers may be doing it the wrong way, 
maybe not, you know, doing it quite right, but it's still a good thing. But also with tragic consequences in the future with Anakin and Padme, you know, and I, and I love the attack across the stars theme because it is so beautiful and romantic. But as we've said many times before, it also has a tragic element to it. You know, like, like this is not fated to end well. Um, and it's been referred to many times by both John Williams and George Lucas that Anakin and Padme are sort of a Romeo and Juliet kind of a, a you know, approach in this movie. And we all know how that ended up. Um, so it was not good for them. It is a tragedy. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of that. And, and it is one of my favorite statements of the Imperial March coupled with my absolute favorite statement of across the stars back to back in a way that really just is glorious and mm-hmm. is John Williams on full display for all who cares to see. So um, it is by far and away my favorite musical moment in Attack of the Clones. And it's a wonderful way to end the movie every time I watch it. So <laughs> I cannot uh, I cannot discount that at all. It is so, so good. Yeah. I, I mean, I love I love that stuff, too. And as you were just explaining it, the, the way you explain it, Jason, uh, kind of the way, you know, it's a closing montage and you have, you know, the martial... The statement of the Imperial March is the clone army prepares for war. And then it goes right into this, you know, very big statement of the love theme from the movie. And kind of the love theme is the countermeasure to the martial war, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. And as you were just explaining it, Jason, it made me think of that's kind of how the closing montage of Revenge of the Sith works. Um, It's different music, but, you know, you have... Um, you essentially have the galaxy closing with the empire and you see Vader and the emperor, but then you go and you get the counter to that. What's, what is, what's going to undo the violence of the emperor and Vader, these children, the love, sure. the love of Anakin Padme made incarnate in Luke and Leia and, in a really cool way, attack of the clones already kind of prescribes that too well there's this big horrible war coming there's death coming to the galaxy but what will what will appease it what will fix it the love of these two characters are they doing something they probably shouldn't be in that context yeah probably but what they're also doing is saving the galaxy it's just going to take a while um but but love is the answer to that And, and and i love the way that both those movies end with that statement so yeah um, yeah it's so it's a really nice way to put it yeah, well, you opened the door. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, oh, um, I almost jumped into Frozen songs. Anyways, uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, you're good. Um, um, but what about you? What's your What's your last uh, piece here that you've got for us today, Carl? Well, of course, it's a statement of Across the Stars, the love theme from this movie, because you know how much I love those romantic themes, Jason. But it is in the uh, the the love please the love pledge in the arena is my favorite statement of the of this song in the movie. Listen to those drums. They beat for war. Right, so you, as the as the theme starts playing, you have Padme finally admitting 
to Anakin how she feels. She finally allows herself to be vulnerable, to share the truth that I am indeed in love with you. And it kind of takes Anakin by surprise. But Anakin, Jen, Padme really believes this is it for them. So in a weird way, she feels the freedom to express what she's been suppressing for so much of this movie. Um, that she does truly love Anakin. Um, and as they kind of share that kiss, as a recognition of this shared love, it kind of just right, it keeps swelling here until we get to this big send-off of it as they're brought into the arena. So let's wait for that. Uh, so you love me? And she whispers her lines, right? It's the most famous quiet lines of all of movie history <laughs> barely here <laughs> but I truly deeply love you and before we die I want you to know and boom here we come yeah So one thing I want to just share quick, because it's a nostalgic story. I, as you know, Jason, and, and, and anyone who's listened to the show for a while, knows how much I love romantic themes in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. When this, when the music video for Across the Stars came out back in, on MTV back in 2002, I so preferred this song, Duel of the Fates. Again, I don't, not that I don't like Duel of the Fates, but this is more my speed. I can't tell you how often I was running around my room doing lightsaber duels with my plastic lightsaber to this song. Duel of the Fates was never played again for while I did lightsaber fights, only across the stars, because there was just something so epically tragic about it. I love this love theme so, so much. I mean, it's one of my favorite pieces of music in Star Wars. Um, but I also love the way that the music is coupled with the visuals as she confesses that love. We finally, we, it's kind of the first time in the movie you, you get a really powerful statement of the love theme because it's finally out there in the open. And what I love about the fact that it's in the open, visually, they are being brought out into the open. The camera expands and we see this massive arena. Their love is now out in the open. It's out on display. And there's something epic yet tragic about their love story. Um, and it's out there for all to see now. And I just, oh, I, I love that so much. Um, and again, there is this, just this, this sense of, oh no, we're doomed <laughs> um, in this love in a lot of ways. And here's what uh, I, I know. I think I played this a little while back on our cross or attack of the clones episode, but here's once again, what John Williams has to say about this theme. Could you Anakin? It's a star crossed set of lovers really where the lovers are separated by class or by family as they are in Romeo and Juliet or by rank as they are in episode two. Be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. They betray you. Yes, thank you, Obi-Wan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, right, like, once again, the, the whole point of Across the Stars is, is John Williams is tapping into that, like you said, Jason, that the, the old Romeo and Juliet tragic feel. Um, and that's what this love theme is all about. And that's... Um, you know, in this moment too, they feel that they are doomed, that they're not going to come out of this. So even though their love has finally been expressed, um, you know, it's in their minds about to have a very short lifespan to it. Um, 
One more thing I want to play from uh, some commentary by John Williams is John Williams talks about what he wanted to do with um, Across the Stars as well in Attack of the Clones because John Williams is going to remind us how, again, this movie is meant to be a love story in old time cinema Um, and that their love is, you know, these are two teenagers. Their love is very passionate. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's much more of an Eros type of love than, you know, the agape kind of love to use the Greek understanding. Um, but this is this across the stars theme is meant to be very passionate. And here's what John Williams has to say about that. In earlier film, at least, uh, love stories may have been more idealistic. We can now have passionate scenes of, with, with, that are very explicit physically. But in earlier decades, all of that had to be imagined. So I think the, the task and opportunity for the musician might have been to provide the erotic aspects that couldn't be shown. I think George had those things on his mind when he described to me the need for a love theme that was like the great love stories of the films of earlier times. Ugh, I love I love John Williams just talking about erotic romance. Um, that's just everything to me. So, <laughs> but right, I mean, you know, you know, I, you know, we've talked about this before, Jason. But right, the the criticism heaped on Attack of the uh, across the, Attack of the Clones, excuse me, is the fact that oh, this isn't how love stories really work. And it, there's some truth to that. But again, what George was trying to capture was kind of that old passionate cinema feel of, of romance. And I love how John Williams talks about how that's what across the stars is meant to be. It's kind of this over the top dramatic love piece that really hints at the passion of these two characters. So bringing it all back to my moment here is this is a moment of pure passion and, and it's played very triumphantly, but also very sorrowfully as they finally admit to the, to the feelings of love that they share for one another. Yeah, and, and it's such a, a really, really nice uh, statement of the piece. And like you said, it's the first real uh, time that we have it, you know, kind of out in the open. Um, and it's beautiful and gorgeous and such a, a fantastic piece to come out onto a arena full of screaming termites. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to make the joke. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is a fantastic piece. Uh, is obviously, you know, it's part of my my last one here. And, and this, it's a fantastic statement as well. It's, it's so perfectly done um, musically. Uh, John Williams is the man and a genius. So, yeah, yeah. Um. So there you have it. There you have some of our favorite musical moments in across, or excuse me, I keep saying, I want to say it's across the stars for attack of the clones, but <laughs> you have some of our favorite musical moments from attack of the clones. Um, but before we wrap up the episode, just a, a couple of things we want to hit on first and foremost, I forgot to mention at the top of the show is we are doing another giveaway, um, a copy of the attack of the Clones soundtrack. How apropos, especially with this episode. So we will announce the winner next week. If you want to participate in this giveaway, um, there are three ways to do so. Uh, you can write a review for us in the iTunes store to be entered to win. You can, if you're on Instagram, follow us on the underscore Wampas layer. You will see the the giveaway image on, on our page. Simply like it and share it to your story. Or if you're on Twitter, at Wampus Lairs, where we are on Twitter, um, I have pinned that tweet. So all you have to do is like it and retweet it, and you will be entered to win. If you do all three of those things, you can be entered three times to win this. 
Um, so once again, it's a it's a copy of the Attack of the Clones soundtrack on CD. It is a used copy. It's 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 coming from my collection, but it is in great working order. I promise you that. Excellent. Yes. And it is a fantastic soundtrack, uh, in case anybody has not listened to the Attack of the Clones soundtrack. So, yes. Um, <laughs> and while I understand that you can obviously stream all this music easily enough through things like Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, Amazon Music, I love having physical copies of certain things of Star Wars in my collection. It just, uh, as a huge music fan and specifically Star Wars music fan, I, I love having copies of the Star Wars scores um, in my hands. It's just something nice about it. Um, so yeah, that's how you can enter that giveaway. And like I said, we will announce the winner next week on our, a new hope radio drama breakdown episode. Um, uh, one last point I want to make is, um, I'm going to be withdrawing a bit from the social media world, um, for, um, for our accounts. Um, I will still continue to be active on Instagram. Instagram is just, it's just a blast. Um, but the the downside to social media, as so many of us know, is it can be a very mean space. Um, and and I've encountered a little bit of that meanness in the last few months. Um, nothing, nothing over the top, nothing outrageous. Um, I'm sure everyone on here, if you have a Twitter, I'm sure you've encountered your own extent of meanness in that space. Um, but, uh, you know, it just I want to focus my energy on on the things that I love and in the ways that I love. So Jason's going to take over a bit of the social media for us. And ultimately we're just going to, you know, use it to, to release our episodes, to do our, our polls and our matchups so that you can of course still stay in, involved. Um, but that being said, you know, one of my favorite themes in, in attack of the clones is we kind of bring our conversation about this movie to a close for a little bit is what Anakin tells Padme. Uh, so you might say that we are encouraged to love. We are. That's right, y'all. We are encouraged to love. And I think, um, especially, you know, the pandemic is still hard on everybody. It's the holiday season, which is my favorite time of the year, but it's also a stressful time of the year, especially with what's going on. Um, I think it's easy to be mean. Um, and I just, you know, just want to make the, 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 take the point to just remind folks, you know, be kind to one another. If people have different opinions than you, it doesn't make them bad, just makes them different. Um, and, and I think that that's totally valid. So, the social media will probably be a little less involved. Again, it's not like we're going away. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you may not see things pop up as quickly. Um, uh, I'll continue to put the episodes together for us. I'll, I'll make the, the, the image posts for Jason to share with everybody. But um, I'm sure most of you that listen to the show regularly already are subscribed in some capacity and we'll get the notifications regardless. But um, so I also want to say that just as a reminder to any of you that may need to hear this, it's okay to take a space and to take a break from certain things in your life that just aren't good for you. Uh, whether yeah. that's social media, whether that's people in your life, whoever or whatever it may be, especially this time of year, make the space to have the space to love yourself and to love those around you. Indeed. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, folks, um, I've already been on a bit of a social media hiatus for myself. So there's not going to be a lot of extraneous posting at this point um, unless things, you know, change for me, unless I get super inspired to just start, you know, tweeting away or whatever. Um, but that being said, you're still going to get all of our episode posts. You're still going to get all the matchup and poll posts. So keep an eye out for those as we do them. Um, but we're going to kind of 
pull back a little bit for the from the social media world for a little bit just to kind of reset for ourselves and uh but that doesn't mean the podcast content is changing anytime soon we're still going to be our usual goofy weird selves so <laughs> no doubt about that um, and right. that being said, Jason, we do have a poll for y'all for next week. Yes, yes, we do. Um, and Carl, what 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 are we what are we asking everybody? Well, we want you to join in the conversation we just had today. So we want to know your favorite musical moment from Attack of the Clones. Yes, and uh, of course you can do that on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Wampus Lair Podcast, Instagram at at Wampus Lair Podcast. No, or, just me, at Wampus Lair. Gonna at have- underscore Wampus Lair. That's Instagram. Twitter is at Wampus Lair uh, as well. Or you can email us at Wampus Lair Podcast at gmail.com. I have not done that like in years, Carl. So, <laughs> yeah, you can tell. <laughs> oh, anyway. Uh, uh, but, Carl, uh, is there anything else you got for us this episode? <laughs> no, I, I hope you all have enjoyed our, our beepity bops around the corners of Attack of the Clones because we sure as heck had a lot of fun. Oh, we did. We had a blast. So that, though, is going to wrap up this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This has been episode number 405, Dex's Jedi Jams. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair.